show. This is part two of the discussion on mental health. I appreciate the feedback I got from the first one. I do think this is a conversation we need to have more in church. And I'm really glad that I'm not the only one talking about this. I know that there's a handful of my preacher friends that uh, have been preaching on this, that I've I've actually listened to their sermons and, uh, you know, use some of their material even in this series uh, as just a way of, uh, I say that just as a way of saying I'm I'm grateful that we are talking about this more. And uh, the feedback I've gotten from y'all just reaffirms that conviction that we need to talk about this in church and we need to find ways to get this conversation in the light because one of the worst things that can happen is when we start to struggle with mental illness that we don't do it in community and that's a surefire recipe for our struggles with mental illness to be exacerbated and that's heartbreaking so that's why I think we have to talk about this in church and I think that's why we have to talk about this in forums like this and my hope for you if you're struggling with mental illness find ways to connect with people. I think you'll hear more about that in the sermon this week. But um, yeah, that's this one. Uh, next week, I've got that. Uh, I've got a conversation with Tom Wright that uh, uh, I had. It was a great conversation. I'll put that one out next week. But um, enjoy this one and um, you'll hear more. I've got some stuff on anxiety and depression and suicide that I want to share as well. And uh, man, that sermon uh, on suicide, which I'll, I'll post down the road, was one of the harder things I've done and uh, in a long time. And I think it's an important thing. So uh, all this stuff on mental illness, I'm, I'm really grateful um, for opportunities for us to talk about this. And I hope this creates a forum for you. So here we go. Check it out. If you have a Bible, Genesis chapter two is where we're going to be this morning. That's Genesis chapter 2. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every one of us has a way of life, a teaching, a a principle, a guiding narrative for the way that we live our life. And we might not use the farming metaphor of a yoke like Jesus used 2,000 years ago, but every one of us has a way of living. But not every way of living brings rest for our souls. And Jesus looks out at every one of us today, just like he did 2,000 years ago, and says, come to me if you are burdened with anxiety, you're burdened with depression, you're burdened with an addiction, you're burdened with being isolated, you're having suicidal ideations, come to me and I will teach you how to live because my way is life-giving. It will not weigh you down, it will lift you up. Last week we started a series, which will last about two months talking about how Jesus' message to come to him, everyone who's weary and heavy burdened, is a word of hope and life for those of us who struggle with mental illness. And talking about mental illness gives me at least two fears, two anxieties. The second biggest fear I have is me stepping outside of my lane as a preacher and saying something incorrect as I might come across as someone who thinks they're a mental health expert. 
I fear that the alarm's going to go off and I'm going to get arrested like that alarm made me feel. Yep, that's it. That's what I think's going to happen. My fear is saying something out of my expertise because I'm not a mental health expert. But we're talking about this because my biggest fear is more substantial to me than that fear. And my biggest fear is not talking about mental health isn't working. Not talking about it just doesn't work because too many of us in this room this morning are weary and heavy burdened from mental health. We did a study for some 200 participants from Westover responded a couple brief questions about mental health. The first question was about how many of us know someone who struggled with mental illness in the last year. And of the 200 plus who participated, the overwhelming majority, almost 200 of you, 200 of us, said we know someone. And when it came to not just other people in the room or other people in our life, but our own struggles with mental illness, the overwhelming majority of us said we have experienced a mental illness of some form or fashion. Let's go to the next graph. Over two-thirds say that they've struggled with burnout, stress, worry, or anxiety. A large amount have struggled with self-esteem, anger, isolation, grief, or sadness. And enough in the room mentioned they've gone through trauma, but also in the last year they have had suicidal ideations. They've thought about self-harm. And so not talking about mental health just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's a way this series is going to work this week and next week we're going to continue to kind of lay some of the foundation for mental illness. And then after that we're going to talk about some of these specific mental illnesses of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideations. So we're talking about this because there's enough of us here that are struggling with it. The World Health Organization said that anxiety and depression increased by 25% since 2020. The CDC said that 42% of teenagers have persistent sadness. CDC also said that 62% of college graduates feel anxious. So a question that has to be on the table is, why is there so much mental illness now? Why is there an increase in mental illness now? And obviously we have to consider the fact that we talk about it more now than we did 50 years ago. And because of the acceptance of mental illness that maybe we're just talking about it more. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's because we live in a world in which this ache for God is not named or addressed. Maybe it's because we're on our screens so often. The more someone is on their screen, the higher the rate they have of depression. Now, maybe it's because they have more depression that they're on the screen, or maybe it's because they're on the screen, therefore they are depressed more. I'm not saying what is the causation and what is the correlation. I don't know that. Technology is on the equation. 
Something that also has to be addressed is the fact that many Americans are taking medication that have as a side effect mental illness. The American Medical Association stated that one-third of Americans are on drugs like heartburn medication or blood pressure medication that has a side effect, depression. And to narrow down the reason why mental illness is more prevalent to one thing would be unhelpful and probably inaccurate. It's environmental, it's biological, it is many things. But what we do know most of all is that we can't not talk about it. And today I'm going to talk about one specific reason why mental illness is so prevalent. It's because we're isolated. The psalmist writes these words in Psalm 32 when he says, While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I wasn't saying anything about what I was going through, when I kept silence, my body wasted away. A few months ago, I was talking to a friend who'd been going through a tough season, but he was making this tough season even harder because he wasn't sharing the burden that he was feeling with any of the people in his life who cared about him. And so, like an overheated person in the Texas summer who refused to drink water, he just made his situation worse. Eventually, he and I got together, and he started talking about the burden that he was carrying. Started talking about what he was going through. And I listened, occasionally asked a follow-up question, but mostly he just talked and I listened. And then he asked me one specific question after some time. His question was this. He said, Luke, I don't, I don't talk about this stuff usually, but do you have someone that you talk to about stuff like this? And in that question, I felt the weight of the modern crisis of masculinity. A lot of people have a lot of theories as to what the modern crisis of masculinity is. But if I had to narrow it down to one thing, it's we have a lot of people who have ignored the wisdom of Scripture from Genesis 2. And there are a lot of men who are very alone. Genesis 2 says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. And I think the crisis that many men are going through right now is that many of us men are alone. And the longer that we keep silence, the more that we waste away. Because it's not good for anyone to be alone. And men are more lonely now than ever. And so are women. Lauren Santos is a psychologist at Yale. And she said that since... 1970, loneliness in our country has been increasing linearly. We're all more lonely. In 1990, this is going to be a long Sunday from my throat. Since 1990, 
to right now, lonely individuals who have no friends have quadrupled. 3% in 1990 had no friends. In 2021, 12%. Uh, Take a look at this graph. Since you probably can't read that because it's such small font, (laughs) let me tell you what's happening here. In 1990, compared to right now, the amount of people who have 10-plus friends for men has dwindled from 40% to 15. For women, it's gone from 28% to 11%. Loneliness is all around. And it's not good for any of us. Brent, you're going to start reading some of these slides for me, all right? There was a study 10 years ago about the connection between isolation and addiction. And it's overwhelmingly clear what the issue is. Take, would you read this for me, Brent? Next slide. The feeling of loneliness is stronger in a drug abuser rather than a non-drug abuser that could develop the sense of being different from community and increase the probability of taking high-risk behaviors and abusing drugs. Thus, it is suggested to consider the feeling of loneliness in all programs designed to prevent or treat addiction. Uh, This past year, the U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy uh, put out a study on uh, the health effect of loneliness. And he said that the physical effects of loneliness equal... Smoking 15 cigarettes a day, 15 cigarettes a day, which is why our new growth group model has a set. I can't say that. Never mind. Um, Most of us who smoke understand the negative effects smoking has on our health. But rarely do those of us who live in isolation understand the effect that loneliness has on our bodies. Because as the Bible said, it is not good for anyone to be alone. And a lot of things flourish in isolation, but rarely are any of them good. But the problem is that we've tried to nickel and dime our way into community. We've tried to nickel and dime our way into feeling like we aren't isolated. Uh, 20 years ago, I was a graduate student studying theology in Abilene. And one morning, I was in our college weight room in the spring when a local football player who played in the NFL, was a Super Bowl champion, shows up at the gym. And I know who this guy is because he is a professional football player from West Texas. He worked out at ACU in the offseason. He, of course, knows me not at all. And so he walks in the gym, and I happen to be at the very front of the gym, and I'm talking to someone, and this professional football player who's won a Super Bowl ring looks at me for some reason and says, what are you doing today? And I was like, what, what, uh, bench press? And he goes, good. And he goes, how much weight are you lifting? And I told him a number, which was slightly exaggerated. (laughs) And he says... Perfect. I wanted to go light today. (laughs) 
And then he says, we're working out together. And there I was, like Zacchaeus, when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. Slightly taller, but still the same energy. And we walked to the bench where I'd already started to warm up. And I'm trying to make small talk with this gentleman who doesn't communicate like most of us do. And so I had just got married a year before. And so I think to ask him a question. Hey, I just got married. Are you married? And his response to that simple question, are you married, has stumped me for 20 years. When I asked him, are you married? He said, no, but I have been engaged three times. And I think he was responding akin to the question, hey, do you have a dollar bill? And the person says, no, but I've got four quarters. I think that's what he was saying, or maybe it was just the concussions talking. I don't know what it was, but I've thought about that for years. I'm going to try to maybe not have this type of relationship, but I have these little nickel and dime solutions to get me there, or at least make me feel like I have that level of connection. I think we nickel and dime our way into trying to solve a real problem that we all know it's not good for us to be alone. So we think I can send some text messages to someone. I can talk to someone on social media. I can sit next to someone without ever talking, but I'm at least near them. And we think it's going to solve the problem. But you can't nickel and dime your way into the wholeness that God intends for us in community. Because in the beginning, the one thing that God said we need in community... You can't fake it, because you can't fake being seen. Uh, Our text for today is Genesis 2. If you're physically able, would you please stand while Brent reads our text for us? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The word of the God, the word of the Lord. Actually, we're not, we're going to read that again. Uh, can we go back? Cause that's kind of like the end of the verse. Can we kind of go back? All nope. Right. Next. Do we have it? I guess we're sitting down. I guess we're, I don't know how we messed that up, but we did somehow. <laughs> don't just sit down. Leave Start. it to me. It's, it's going to be that day. I, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, right. there we go, there we go, there we go. Should we stand back up? Yeah, let's stand back up. Come on, everybody. <clears throat> Come on. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked. They were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired 
to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they, they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise be to God. Let's that give, part was not on the screen, you know? Let's give Brent a round of applause. That's great. Thank you. In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve to be together. The text said they were naked and unafraid. What that signifies is the fact that they are fully seen and known. There's nothing that they're hiding from each other. What they think, what they feel, what's going on inside of them is fully understood and there was no shame about it. At the heart of community is being fully seen. But the problem is that there is always the voice telling you that you should actually clothe yourself so that you can't be seen. Uh, In an effort to further elevate the voices of those who are actual mental health experts and the divine provision of God who has this video clip for me right now, uh, would you take a listen, and this is uh, psychiatrist Kurt Thompson who we talked about a little bit last week talking about this text from Genesis 2. So would you please watch this? Well, again, uh, I, I think, you know, we come by it quite honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not good for the man to be alone. Mm-hmm. And one of the first priorities of the snake, one page later in the Bible, was to make sure that he's only talking to the woman. He doesn't say, hey, Adam, let, let's, have, let's have a three-way. He doesn't say, hey, let's wait until God, the wind of God, comes walking in the cool of the evening, and the four of us will have a conversation. Yeah. Right, and, and it's not—it's not that like that's dangerous. It is not good for us to be alone, and so we're alone a lot. And as soon as trauma happens, we—you know—for us to engage it, typically we're left alone with that. And the healing of trauma is not primarily about me, Kurt, as an individual finding a solution. It is about Luke coming to find me. It is about someone else coming to be present with me. Yeah. When I'm left alone, however, uh, I'm left alone with these emotional states that are so overwhelming and so unpleasant. Mm-hmm. But if I'm by myself, I don't, you know, the only thing I can do is to do something to escape the emotional state that I have, the state of shame, the state of fear. And one of the odd things about... Can, can I interrupt? I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. You said we can only... Cope. We can only uh, like escape. Why can't I find like healing on my own? How, how come I, I can't fix it by myself? You know, I mean, this is a quote. The, 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 here, here we we um, run up against. Uh, that, it's a question that would be similar to like, why can't I fly? Like a bird can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, it's we would say like, well, uh, like like we are. Designed physiologically in such a way that, like, like, I like, I don't, I don't got, I don't got what it takes to fly. Okay. Okay. Right. Why can't? Why don't? Why don't? Why don't men have babies? Why don't males have babies? Like, you were not, we're not built to do it, right? And like, it's not good for man to be alone. Okay. That's good. I mean, like, and 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 we humans, 
Um, but we could, we could talk forever today about like why it is, you know, we are traumatized in isolation, which is evil's intention. And part of our response to having been traumatized in isolation is that trauma shatters my capacity to perceive that what I actually need for healing is connection with other people. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I perceive uh, that I don't perceive that is because trauma actually takes place in the context of intimate relationships. Yeah. And what that means is that intimacy becomes a dangerous thing for me. So I don't think to go for help. Shame does not have me turning toward you. It literally, physiologically, has me turning away from you. Which mm-hmm. means I'm left on my own. And one of the things that I can do, interestingly enough, one of the things that I can do to reduce my felt sense of distress is to think cognitively. I can have thoughts about why I can't do this, why I didn't do this. I, like, I, I wander down the path of a cognitive ruminative pathway. Mm-hmm. It is completely unhelpful, but what it does is that it does reduce the felt sense of me being alone with the emotional state. Even if it's, even if it's a minor reduction. It's the best I can do when left on my own. Now, I have all kinds of ways of doing this. I ruminate about it. I can do lines of cocaine. I can look on my phone. I can go look at porn and masturbate. I can, like, there's a range of different things that I can do, all of which, though, are functions of what I'm doing by myself in the world. But when I'm doing, a, for my church, listen, this is a, a, I'm not actually doing this, but when I'm doing a line of cocaine, when I am ruminating or when I'm looking at my phone, all these are pseudo attempts to actually leave isolation and I feel like I'm tricking myself and feeling like I'm leaving isolation but I'm actually just going further into that hole. Is that what you're saying? Well, what I'm saying is that we're not trying to leave isolation in those moments. What we're trying to do is as quickly as possible reduce our distress. Reduce distress, okay. We are not designed to be independent from each other. And when we experience the adversity of life, the best we can do on our own is attempt to reduce the distress that we're in. And we have a myriad of ways that we try to do that, many of which lead us to talking about addictions, because we can't solve these problems alone. The solution is to find a way to be unashamed, to be fully seen by someone else. The problem with our ability to be fully seen by someone else is there's always that presence of something saying you can't actually be seen or you will be rejected. There's always something or some voice, it was the serpent in the beginning, and it shows up in a myriad of ways right now saying you can't really trust someone else to see your anxiety, to see your despair, to feel the weight that you're carrying. And the end result is we try to reduce the stress, but it never works. And this has been always part of the human predicament. There's a story in three of the Gospels about a person with this evil spirit. And I want to to read this text from Mark chapter 5. So, Brent, would you please? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. Close enough. And when he stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tomb with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, 
and the shackles he broke into pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. So you have this person with what the text calls an evil spirit. What a psychiatrist like Dr. Thompson would diagnose him with is a different conversation for a different day. But what is most important about the sex, in my opinion, for right now, is not what he has, but where he is. He is subdued, but he breaks free and goes away from community. In Luke's account of it, in Luke 8, it specifically says, for many times it, seized, it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wild. The demon was leading him away from community. Just as the serpent drove Adam and Eve away from God, it is the same thing that leads you and I to be ashamed and to run away from what we need most when we are heavy, burdened, and weary, which is community. Because what we need more than anything else is to free isolation. But that doesn't come when you listen to the voice of the serpent, or you listen to the voice of the demon, or you listen to the voice of your ego, or your pride, or your shame. Because the heart of the healing that we experience in community is when we're seen. Importance of community is not that everyone becomes an extrovert. For some reason, the church has elevated being an extrovert as a spiritual gift. It's not. It's a way that someone is wired. And so community looks different for extroverts to introverts. The point is how many friends you need. That's not the point. The point is that you need to be seen. And so when Jesus says to those of us who are heavy, burdened, and weary, come to me, take on my yoke, and you will find rest for your soul, one of the ways that you will find rest in the way of life of Jesus is that you don't do life alone, but you share it with others. Here's how Jesus' brother in the book of James says this. In James, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Now, I'm not saying it is a sin to have a mental health issue. I'm not saying it's a sin at all. That is the farthest thing from the truth. But what I am saying is when you leave your attempt to cover yourself up, to fabricate some way to hide, and instead you confess to someone else, you experience healing. Even if it's something in the moment you don't feel like would actually be well received, even if your ego is saying, don't do this, what I'm telling you is that you will find healing. And don't just take my word for it. A couple years ago, uh, I interviewed Caden Norton for a different sermon series, and he was brave enough to be vulnerable to talk about his mental health struggles and his journey to actually share his mental health struggles with his friends and his wife. And so here is a young Caden Norton talking about his struggle with OCD. Take a look. The biggest thing for me was finally opening up and, and letting people into this world, so um, my wife, obviously, just being present all the time, could start to see, you know, that there are things that I was, you know, being OCD about or having anxiety about. Um, but that was really, I probably, for years, probably let maybe three or four people into that sort of world. Really? Um, Why is that? Well, so for the longest time, I think I thought that it was just a personality thing. Um, I think the 
biggest problem for me in getting help was my ego being in the mm-hmm. way. Um, so I've always. What, what was your ego telling you? That I should be able to take care of it myself. I just told a couple of friends about this the other day um, that I've had for since first grade, and they didn't know it was something that I struggled with. It's just, it's there's a little bit, maybe not like embarrassment, but just sort of a feeling like people are going to look at you differently. Um, what has been the response when you have told people? Have they looked at you differently? Total, total opposite. Yeah. Really? When you tell people, they're so supportive. Um, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's the, so I just recently started really opening up about this over the past year. And um, yeah, my friendships have gotten so much stronger. My marriage has gotten a lot better now that we're letting other people into this. You know, How is it better? Um, our communication's better. Um, I think, too, instead of me trying to fix it myself, you know, putting my ego out in front of it and saying I can do this myself, I rely on a lot of other people um, more uh, to kind of help me, you know, Say, I think you're having a, an OCD anxiety here, you know, and that'll help me sort of work through it mm-hmm. that way. The voice of the servant, the voice of the demon, the voice of your ego, the voice of your pride is always telling you, don't ask for help. But healing comes when we can share our burdens with one another. Part of the way that Jesus gives rest for our soul is when you trust the body of Christ to carry your burdens. One of the things that the intern said so well just a minute ago in service is that we have not just a community, but a Christ-centered community. And when our community is gathered around Jesus, who extends mercy and grace for all of us, that is a place where we can find healing. As we continue to worship, what we're going to do next is we're going to receive communion. If you're new here, the way we do this is we have those serving to pass out the trays, and we hold on to them for a second. It's a little reminder that we don't do this alone, but we take this meal together as a family. And this morning, as we receive the bread and we receive the cup, may it be a reminder that we receive Jesus in community. We receive healing in community. So there's a couple ways that you can do that this morning. If you're struggling, you say, I I need to talk to someone. Uh, We'll have the elders and the ministers in the back of the room. And if you want to talk to someone uh, during communion or after the service, they would love to talk and pray with you. If you want to talk to, well, like I said, one of our elders or their spouses or one of our ministers, we will be available for that. Uh, We have a growth group that's starting in two weeks where people are going to talk maybe in a more granular way about their struggles with mental illness. I encourage you to check that out. Uh, There are counseling resources that are available to you that we also have for you. So you can check on our website for more of those. Let's pray and then we'll receive the bread and we'll receive the cup. God, my prayer this morning is for those of us who are weary and heavy burdened. That we would trust you and the way of life that you call us to live as a means by which we can find rest for our souls. And as you call us to live in community, as you call us to not trust the voice of the serpent, the voice of our pride, the voice of our ego, which has us live in isolation and shame, but we would trust the power of your blood, which forgives us all and unites us all. And so now as we receive this bread and we receive this cup, we remember that you are for us, that you have love for us, and that you are our source of healing.
And God, I pray for those this morning who know that they need to talk to someone, who haven't, who have lived in isolation for too long. I pray that your spirit would lead them to text the friend, to introduce themselves to the person they need to talk to, to go to the mental health professional, to pray with an elder or a minister this morning. Whatever it is they need to do, I pray that they would trust that your spirit will lead them to the source of rest, which is you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.